episode 58. But a jury's vote's secret, Atticus. Our father chuckled. You've many more miles to go, son. A jury's vote's supposed to be secret. Serving on a jury forces a man to make up his mind and declare himself about something. Men don't like to do that. Sometimes it's unpleasant. Well, Tom's jury show made up its mind in a hurry, Jem muttered. Atticus's fingers went to his watch pocket. No, it didn't, he said, more to himself than to us. That was the one thing that made me think, well... This may be the shadow of a beginning. That jury took a few hours. An inevitable verdict, maybe, but usually it takes them just a few minutes. This time, he broke off and looked at us. You might like to know that there was one fellow who took considerable wearing down. In the beginning, he was raring for outright acquittal. Who? Jem was astonished. Atticus's eyes twinkled. It's not for me to say, but I'll tell you this much. He was one of your old serum friends. One of the Cunninghams? Jem yelped. One of... I didn't recognize any of them. You're joking. He looked at Atticus from the corners of his eyes. One of their connections. On a hunch, I didn't strike him. Just on a hunch. Could have, but I didn't. Golly, Moses, Jeb said reverently. One minute they're trying to kill him, and the next they're trying to turn him loose. I'll never understand those folks as long as I live. Atticus said you just had to know him. He said the Cunninghams hadn't taken anything from or off anybody since they migrated to the New World. He said the other thing about them was once you earned their respect, they were for you tooth and nail. Atticus said he had a feeling, nothing more than a suspicion, that they left the jail that night with considerable respect for the Finches. Then, too, he said it took a thunderbolt plus another Cunningham to make one of them change his mind. If we'd had two of that crowd, we'd have had a hung jury. Jim said slowly, You mean you actually put on the jury a man who wanted to kill you the night before? How could you take such a risk, Atticus? How could you? When you analyze it, there was little risk. There's no difference between one man who's going to convict and another man who's going to convict, is there? There's a faint difference between a man who's going to convict and a man who's a little disturbed in his mind, isn't there? He was the only uncertainty on the whole list. What kin was that man to Mr. Walter Cunningham, I asked. Atticus rose, stretched, and yawned. It was not even our bedtime, but we knew he wanted a chance to read his newspaper. He picked it up, folded it, and tapped my head. Let's see now, he droned to himself. I've got it. Double first cousin. How can that be? Two sisters married two brothers. That's all I'll tell you. You figure it out. 
I tortured myself and decided that if I married Jim and Dill had a sister whom he married, our children would be double first cousins. Gee, Manetti, Jim, I said when Atticus had gone. They're funny folks. Do you hear that, Auntie? Aunt Alexandra was hooking a rug and not watching us, but she was listening. She sat in her chair with her work basket beside it, her rug spread across her lap. Why ladies hooked woolen rugs on boiling nights never became clear to me. I heard it, she said. I remembered the distant, disastrous occasion when I rushed to young Walter Cunningham's defense. Now I was glad I'd done it. Soon as school starts, I'm going to ask Walter home to dinner, I planned, having forgotten my private resolve to beat him up the next time I saw him. He can stay over sometimes after school, too. Atticus can drive him back to old Sarah. Maybe he could spend the night with us sometime, okay, Jim? We'll see about that, Aunt Alexandra said, a declaration that with her was always a threat, never a promise. Surprised, I turned to her. Why not, Auntie? They're good folks. She looked at me over her sewing glasses. Jean Louise, there is no doubt in my mind that they're good folks, but they're not our kind of folks. Jem says, she means they're yappy, Scout. What's a yap? All tacky. They like fiddling and things like that. Well, I do too. Don't be silly, Jean Louise, said Aunt Alexandra. The thing is, you can scrub Walter Cunningham till he shines. You can put him in shoes and a new suit, but he'll never be like Jem. Besides, there's a drinking streak in that family a mile wide. Finch women aren't interested in that sort of people. Auntie, said Jem, she ain't nine yet. She may as well learn it now. Aunt Alexandra had spoken. I was reminded vividly of the last time she had put her foot down. I never knew why. It was when I was absorbed with plans to visit Calpurnia's house. I was curious, interested. I wanted to be her company, to see how she lived, who her friends were. I might as well have wanted to see the other side of the moon. This time the tactics were different, but Aunt Alexandra's aim was the same. Perhaps this was why she had come to live with us, to help us choose our friends. I would hold her off as long as I could. If they're good folks, then why can't I be nice to Walter? I didn't say not to be nice to him. You should be friendly and polite to him. You should be gracious to everybody, dear. But you don't have to invite him home. What if he was kin to us, Auntie? The fact is that he is not kin to us. But if he were, my answer would be the same. Auntie, Jem spoke up. Atticus says you can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you, no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. Well, that's your father all over again, said Aunt Alexandra. And I still say that Jean Louise will not invite Walter Cunningham to this house. If he were her double first cousin once removed, he would still not be received in this house unless he comes to see Atticus on business. Now that is that. She had said indeed not, but this time she would give her reasons, 
but I want to play with Walter, Auntie. Why can't I? She took off her glasses and stared at me. I'll tell you why, she said, because he is trash. That's why you can't play with him. I'll not have you around him picking up his habits and learning Lord knows what. You're enough of a problem to your father as it is. I, I don't know what I would have done, but Jim stopped me. He caught me by the shoulders, put his arm around me, and led me sobbing in fury to his bedroom. Atticus heard us and poked his head around the door. It's all right, sir, Jim said gruffly. It's not anything. Atticus went away. Have a chew, Scout. Jim dug in his pocket and extracted a Tootsie Roll. It took a few minutes to work the candy into a comfortable wad inside my jaw. Jim was rearranging the objects on his dresser. His hair stuck up behind and down in front, and I wondered if it would ever look like a man's. Maybe if he shaved it off and started over, his hair would grow back neatly in place. His eyebrows were becoming heavier, and I noticed a new slimness about his body. He was growing taller. When he looked around, he must have thought I would start crying again, for he said, Show you something if you won't tell anybody. I said, What? He unbuttoned his shirt, grinning shyly. Well, what? Well, can't you see it? Well, no. Well, it's hair. Where? There. Right there. He had been a comfort to me, so I said it looked lovely, but I didn't see anything. It's real nice, Jim. Under my arms, too, he said. Going out for football next year. 